I'd taken the car out for a drive while I was majorly over the limit, had my best friend lying in the back of the car, had that song playing at full blast, was screaming the lyrics, and as the car crashed and span out of control. That's Nick Brax. He's just published his first book, Move Your Mind. It's both his personal story of struggling with mental health throughout his life and a guide on how we can better equip ourselves to handle the challenges inevitably coming our way. All based on countless conversations with experts, advocates, and everyday people he's met over the past decade. No one's got all the answers, just about having access to how can I educate myself and find the tools. The son of the former Premier of Victoria, Nick always put a lot of pressure on himself to be exceptional. But unfortunately, that went hand in hand with a constant stream of obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviours that drove him to self-destruction. All I cared about was I need to punish myself. I need to do more than anyone else. I need to push myself to that limit. Through sheer repetition and desire, he's built himself up from being a guy who was terrified to speak in front of anyone to presenting more than a thousand talks on mental health to audiences around the world, including TED Talks. I'd literally be like vomiting before I'd go and talk in front of five people and I'd be standing there with like a sheet of paper, staring down at it, like shaking and mumbling each word. He's an actor, an entrepreneur, a business owner, and now an author, but perhaps most impressively, he's managed to still not beat up himself. And that's because he hasn't forgotten why he does what he does in the first place. Nick's a genuine operator and his book is well worth reading, but don't take my word for it, you can hear for yourself. No matter what you achieve, if you can't look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and like what you see, you're gonna want more, you're gonna be dissatisfied, you're gonna be unhappy, and it's just not the way to live life. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Nick, Under the Bridge by the Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of my favorite songs, uh, but it reminds you of one of the worst, if not the worst decisions that you ever made. Can you take us through that? Definitely, and yeah, I mean, it. In a weird way, it still sort of is one of my, you know, favourite songs, but it obviously has uh, a lot of negative uh, or, you know, pretty full-on uh, memories attached to it. So it was at a time when I was really off the rails and getting in a lot of trouble. And I had, I, was, I used to drive one of those old, um, like, early 90s Saab, um, Saabs, and it had a, uh, a cassette player that you could, like, remove. And me and my friend, who we would sort of go out drinking all the time together, we had this best of red hot chili peppers tape and would listen to under the bridge all the time it was sort of i guess reflected the um mindset we're in at that time um on this night i'd taken the car out for a drive while i was majorly over the limit had my best friend lying in the back of the car had that song playing at full blast was screaming the lyrics and as the car crashed and span out of control so it was a pretty you know full-on thing and it, you know the, my memory of that moment is literally like what you would see on a film and i remember it feeling like slow motion and just having these really clear thoughts going through my head of what have i done here and i'm gonna i think i'm gonna die um so it was a bizarre experience uh and yeah a, a period i went through um you know i don't regret anything in life i wouldn't do it again but i do really believe in learning from you know mistakes and adversity and uh in a weird way that incident set me on the path that I've gone on for the last 10 plus years. Uh, so, you know, it's, and it's a message I'm really big on. I think, you know, you've got to experience things in life. We're all going to make mistakes, but we need to learn from those mistakes and try and, you know, use that to 
propel ourselves forwards. When you reflect, what led you to that tipping point? Oh, a lot of things. In my case, it was pretty complicated. It was a it was a whole backstory behind it, but really, you know, in an abbreviated sort of version, it was me naturally having an overactive mind, not knowing how to manage that, uh, being naturally very shy, um, having obsessive tendencies, becoming obsessed with wanting to be a professional athlete and training myself into the ground, stunting my physical development, uh, not developing socially and, you know, adding on to that growing up in a famous family with a well-known father and that adding this sort of need in my mind to prove myself. Um, and this had gone on for a long, long time and I didn't seek help, didn't know how to talk about it, felt embarrassed to talk about it like a lot of men, uh, felt like it was, you know, a sign of weakness to talk about it. So it was, uh, the reason it happened is I had just, it was at, at boiling point and I wasn't coping and I was using alcohol to manage it. Uh, and it was getting more and more out of control. And, you know, that was the tipping point really when, when things um, spiraled. And you felt like when you were drinking, that was the only time you could actually relax and and be yourself and stop these thoughts that were constantly running through your head and giving you a busy mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that, at that point, um, I just didn't have any other coping mechanisms and it was a combination of, I wasn't coping. I had a very fixed sort of mindset where I wanted to be a professional athlete. I couldn't because I, um, had injured myself to the point where I had to have like years and years off and, um, I didn't see a future outside of that. And I was also incredibly insecure and shy to the point where I literally couldn't, you know, look someone in the eye and have a conversation with them. And I, alcohol was the only thing that gave me relief from that. So I, you know, so I didn't start drinking till I was 18 because I was training at an elite level in, in um, middle distance running. I was, you know, training at an extreme level. So I didn't, I wouldn't eat one piece of junk food, let alone touch alcohol. But when all of that came to an end and I discovered alcohol, it became, you know, my overnight coping mechanism and, uh, yeah, went out of control. And the way you used to exercise was one example of your compulsive thoughts and behaviors where looking back, you used to do some pretty crazy stuff as a young kid where you'd wake up at 2.30 in the morning and start lifting the bricks outside or go for a mm -hmm. run uh, in the middle of the night and try to hide that from your parents because you were so obsessed with trying to achieve this extreme level of physical fitness because you felt like you had to prove yourself in the sporting arena. Why did you feel that so strongly inside, do you think? I think it was a combination of, you know, nature and nurture. It's how my mind sort of is naturally wired. It's got, I've got obsessive tendencies or I did have obsessive tendencies that I didn't know how to manage and it spiraled. And I think part of it was this thing about proving myself, uh, which would have, you know, a lot of that did come from the environment I grew up in. But I think the bigger part was actually an illogical thing um, to do with me not understanding how my mind worked. And it wasn't something where it was because of a traumatic event when I was younger at that point, it was actually, I, like a lot of people, you know, I, my mind operated in this way that, I was not educated in. You don't get taught in school to understand this stuff. You don't get taught how to um, have more, you know, self-awareness or how to think, if you do think differently, how to manage that. And it manifested through, you know, the vehicle to control it became um, exercise and competing in sport. But it got to that level where the only way I could stop the compulsive thinking was training at that level and pushing myself, running myself into the ground. Uh, 
which had all these negative implications. But if I look back on it, I sort of even knew at the time, you know, when I was doing these crazy sessions and it would be, I remember, you know, getting up at three in the morning, running for an, like doing exercises, like you're saying, with bricks, hiding them under my bed, going for a run for an hour and a half before school, going to training that night, um, tripling what my coach gave me to do and not, you know, not being able to walk upstairs to go to bed. And I remember thinking, this is actually not going to like bring better results when I compete on the weekend, but I didn't care. All I cared about was I need to punish myself. I need to do more than anyone else. I need to push myself to that limit in, in the, the exact same way where it's very hard to explain in a logical sense. The best way I can explain it is it was the exact same compulsion because it was an addiction uh, that, you know, a drug addict or an alcoholic would have. It was this just addiction to exercise. Well, and it sounds like you were desperately searching for presence where you wanted to stop that dialogue running through your head either thinking ahead or thinking back to the past and if you could train so hard that you had to focus so much on the moment then you'd be able to actually be free for that from us for a second and then it sounds like later in life you figured out that you could achieve the same thing with alcohol but of course Hmm. neither is actually addressing the problem how early on in, in your life did you have those compulsive and obsessive thoughts you know, since I can remember, I always had, um, you know, extreme thinking. I was always wanting to do extreme things as a kid. Um, not necessarily in a negative way, but it was, I, I always felt like I was different or didn't know, I couldn't fit in, didn't know how to fit in, didn't know how to, yeah, manage my thinking. And it was, I had this extreme thinking from literally as far back as I can remember. How much did the thought that something was wrong with you occupy your mind? trying to think yeah probably early on not so not so much because like at that point in time um as i was saying before you know when you're young you don't have that level of self-awareness or life experience to really put this into practice and, and you know like as i talk about so much in uh the mental health work that i do and in the book we need to be taught about this stuff we're not taught in education we're not taught through parenting because our parents weren't taught it so i wasn't taught like like most of us um so i didn't know any better uh, and it wasn't until, you know, things got to that boiling point that I'd learned, okay, this is unhealthy. But like you're saying before, normally when you know a behavior is unhealthy is when it's taken to the extreme on any level, even if it's a healthy behavior. You know, in my case, exercise at that point became incredibly unhealthy because it was pushed to that level. And I think this is a, an, an awareness thing that we're, you know, we're not educated on. And people don't understand in society, but, you know, I think most people would be addicted in some way to something, whether it be social media. I was looking up last night, the average person on TikTok, average amount of time on TikTok is six hours for the people that use it, which is just like, what the hell, six hours? That's like almost a full working day just on TikTok. You know, people addicted to social media, people addicted to work, people are addicted to, you know, distraction. We're trying to distract ourselves so we don't have to be alone with ourselves or find healthy coping mechanisms but it takes an extreme result before we see it as a problem which we don't want to happen exactly you know it takes a um and we also we don't want to admit to ourselves that we're not in control of something or we're being controlled by something or something's playing too much of a part in our lives in a negative way we would rather pretend that that's not the case and downplay things until it gets to a point where we can't do that anymore because we know that on the other side of that is probably a lot of work to fix it. Absolutely. No, and that, that's the thing, and you see that, you know, and 
and that's what I that's why I guess the work I do you know the position I'm building for myself or that I'm interested in is getting mainstream education out there finding as many vehicles through media through other outlets to get it out there uh because you can't you know you can't force someone to change and I you know I see it in my friends even you're having a conversation and you know it's not my place to tell someone something and I might not be right but you're observing behavior and you're thinking okay you know this person's being extreme and you might mention something and they have a very adverse reaction and go out of their way to say why they're not needing to you know address or maybe look at thinking in a different way and which you know it's not because anyone's right or wrong we're all on a different path but uh it is a natural reaction you know deep down when we have to um if we are wanting to confront this stuff you're opening up a pandora's box it's not and it's another message i say a lot of the time um if you want to like do this personal development work on yourself it's not a quick fix it's not easy it's going to be a lot more painful than doing nothing in the short term uh, but it's going to give you you know sustainability and it's going to lead to peace of mind longer term and if something's ugly you know if there's a demon under your bed you don't want to look at it necessarily you'd like to pretend it's not there but it doesn't make it go away it doesn't make it get any smaller and you still know it's there and i feel like we can only pretend for so long until it climbs up onto the bed and sits on our chest and we can't move until we do something about it or we get consumed by it so the car accident for you when you were 20 that was obviously a major part of your life how did you move past that and find a way forward it took a while uh actually when that happened i talk about this you know this gets detailed in 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 my new book um i at that time it was extreme you know this was on um the front page of every newspaper it was on every news station around the cha- around the country for a week i couldn't leave the house um because of all the media and i was hoping to make a change and I sort of like cleaned myself up for a couple of weeks, but because I didn't speak out about it, I actually fell into that same behavior for, you know, quite a while longer. And it wasn't, uh, and you got some notoriety for it as well as being a bad boy. (laughs) I did. Um, which is interesting, you know, this, this whole image that people had for a long time in Australia, uh, was that I was this bad boy and then people would meet me and they'd be like, hang on, you're like, not what I expected. Um, which I, you know, I think, I guess, like, may, maybe I wish in some ways I could be a bad boy, but <laughs> I'm definitely, you've got definitely the look. Not. <laughs> I'm definitely not. I'm a pretty um, uh, sensitive uh, kind of yeah, guy. You're uh, a pretty, you're a pretty opposite. good, you're a pretty good boy these days. <laughs> I try and behave. The, uh, yeah, I try and not be a bad boy anymore, mate. But um, you know, uh, but no, it took it took a while for that behavior to change. But it took. It took getting to a point where I, you know, was borderline catatonic, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't hide it from anyone anymore, had to be forced to go and get help. And, you know, that was the very beginning. So, you know, which I think you said this point before, people often wait for things to get to that. Um, you know, often what the, the saying is when when it's uh, when it's more painful to keep doing the same behavior than to change that's often when people change but that's extreme you know and Mm. and that can mean you're in a life-threatening situation so you don't want to get to that but it did take that for me as it does with a lot of people um and i was lucky i had uh i have an amazing family and amazing friends that were there to really you know push me to make that change and that crippling depression that you went through was that spurred on by the shame and guilt you were feeling and a mix of these underlying mental health conditions you already had or how do you explain that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it was, um, 
It was circumstantial for sure. Um, it was from what was going on. Um, yeah, from, I mean, it's a pretty unique situation to, to have happen where, you know, you're making mistakes that a lot of people make and it's, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of, it's so um, prominent in the media that, you know, I couldn't walk down the street and not have people coming up and uh, harassing me or, you know, talking to, like saying something about me or, uh, and and then you become more self-conscious, you know, it's uh, it added to my anxiety because I'd meet someone, I'd be thinking in the back of my mind, do they have a, um, do these people already have an impression of what I'm like? Are they judging me? Are they, you know, what's going through their mind? Are they looking at, you know, thinking about my, my, my dad, you know, you'd have people referencing my father all the time, all these different things. So for me, it was definitely a combination of all those things. And I, I saw, uh, quite a long time ago when I was seeing a psychologist about a lot of that stuff, um, they sort of said to me, you know, they're like, Nick, you're actually, you don't suffer clinically from depression. The problem I naturally have is anxiety, uh, which stems from how my brain's wired with the overthinking and, you know, the sort of having a very, very active mind that I now, you know, manage through healthy ways with meditation, exercise, um, gratitude journaling, talking to friends, etc. But my problem was having that overactive mind that leads to anxiety from the overthinking um, that I couldn't manage. And when that gets out of control, that can lead to depression. But it wasn't clear, you know, I didn't naturally have or don't naturally have um, uh, biologically a, you mean. a biological, you know, yeah, predisposition to to depression. It gets, you know, caused when that stuff gets out of control. If anything, I've got too much energy. I want to do too much. Um, and if you don't manage that, you know, you can run yourself into the ground. What got you into acting? Acting, I, yeah, if someone said to me, like I was saying to you before, you know, I, and again, I talk about all of this in the book. When I was coming through this period, I was that shy and insecure that I, I got into this course that I really wanted to do. I dropped out of university, got into another course. It was a business entrepreneurship course. It was um, excited to get into it. Found out we had to do all these public speaking um, engagements like in front of like five people, 10 people. It was a tiny course. And I was trying to pull out of the course because of it. And I'd literally be like vomiting before I'd go and talk in front of five people. And I'd be standing there with like a sheet of paper, staring down at it, like shaking and mumbling each word. And, uh, which is pretty crazy you know, because some- as we know, you've now spoken to thousands of people all around the world doing exactly that on a way bigger scale. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy thing. Like if someone said to me at that point, you'd go on, you know, your main career for the next 10 years is going to be public speaking. And then you're going to go and do acting as well. And, you know, go on Neighbours and do all this stuff. I would have like literally probably not even laughed at them. I would have just been like, no, that's just, that's an impossibility. I don't. Um, But what happened was when I started doing that, I, you know, by sheer repetition and pushing myself to literally the point, you know, physically vomiting. I had to do so many of these talks in this course, which turned out to be the best thing that could have happened to me over three years. Um, you know, it took a long time, but I got to the point at the end of that three-year period where I was actually comfortable and getting okay at doing it. And then I was, you know, lucky after that to get asked to go on um, a reality show, Dancing with the Stars is what it was, which um, I was a bad dancer, but I ended up doing it. And that was extreme beyond belief, in, again, you know, in terms of what I thought I was capable of doing because of my insecurities and you know, got through it. And after that, it embedded this thing in my head thinking, well, if I can get through that experience where I got to, you know, dance on live TV with a, you know, audience and 3 million people around the country watching me, uh, 
and the level of fear I felt in that first episode, I thought, well, um, I don't think it's possible for me to be more scared of something again in the future. So anytime I did have that apprehension, I'd remind myself of that and just push myself to do whatever it was I wanted to do. Um, and acting, I originally got into it because when I was on these reality shows, I was still, you know, didn't know who I was. I was loving all the attention I got. And I thought, how do I be more famous? Or oh, maybe I want to be an actor. Um, I turned up to a class and within that first class, I was like, okay, this is, you know, there's a lot, a bit more to this than just being able to get famous. And I um, got into it and I thought, shit, this is like really cool. You know, you're having to learn about other people. There's so much psychology and you've got to learn about yourself. You've got to, um, I just found it fascinating, the sort of psychology behind it and ended up loving it so much that I did a full-time course and did classes for years and years um, without really caring if I ever worked in it because it was just giving me such an outlet um, creatively and uh, helping with my public speaking and everything else I did. So I just fell in love with it uh, and eventually did actually get offered a role on Neighbours, which I did on and off for a couple of years. And I've done um, a couple of other projects, been auditioning overseas and uh, got an, a, a feature film that I'm um, – Australian film that we're we're making next year, which I'm really excited about. So, um, yeah, it sort of led to a path that I could have never imagined. Initially, did pretending to be other characters appeal to you because you still didn't fully want to be yourself? Yeah, it, it really did. And, yeah, it's interesting you sort of say that because um, it was, and it's only been um, – the last I've sort of taken a break from auditioning at the moment, but it's probably only been the last two or three years where um, I like, I love acting and I, you know, I want to do it forever, but I've also been more comfortable realizing, you know what I'm, I'd rather be Nick Brax. I like who I am now. I want to, um, and I love what I'm doing and I get, you know, acting I love, but the other work I do is even more meaningful to me being able to, you know, talk to groups of people, being able to, you know, doing the book, having you know, a publisher behind me, getting this out to people. I feel incredibly privileged to be able to do things like this because it really does mean something to me. And, you know, it, 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 even if one person buys it and um, gets benefit out of that, that's, that's huge, you know, like, and, and I think it is a privilege to be in that position. So I've really realized that more recently and uh, and, you know, it means I can actually enjoy the acting more because it's more just an opportunity to um, uh, to have a bit of fun and and do, you know, do it do it as, as an outlet from the other work. But it, it took a long time to get to that. And originally, I I remember, you know, vividly fantasizing about just becoming a, a huge actor and being able to um, pretend to be all these other people and escape who I was, escape, you know, Australia, etc., as you've got more comfortable with yourself and worked on your self-love, you've that's become sort of less appealing or, or less the goal because you realise that being yourself is actually enough and you don't have to be a mega star like Hugh Jackman in order to love yourself. And by the way, mate, I have I bought your book. So one person's bought your book. So mission uh, mission accomplished in that one. <laughs> Majorly appreciate you buying it. Um, it's you know it, it means a lot and it's exciting to you know it seems weird I've got it you know sitting sitting here as well and even being able to just see it myself you know after so much going into it it's it's crazy to see it come together so I think you know you you strip away what you do and don't want if you become more comfortable with yourself and what I realise with the acting stuff is I'd love to do it but an area I want to get way more into when I've got the um, time and opportunity to do it is mental health in the entertainment industry because. 
I've done it myself and I've got so many friends that are actors. And when you're, you know, you're getting sent, you know, five, 10 auditions a week. And a lot of the time you've got less than 24 hours to turn around a 10 page audition. And a lot of people, you know, I've been fortunate that I've got my own business that's sort of sustained me to a degree when I was doing it. Um, most people doing it, are, you know, scrapping by and relying on that to make money out of it as their main income. And the level of pressure and the um, the level of mental health issues in, in that is just gigantic. And it's a horrible way to live. And any you talk to any performer who's been through it, and it, it really, I don't, I, you know, I haven't experienced many things that are more um, damaging to your mental health. And, and, and you, I've, I've seen it firsthand in almost every single actor that I know and that I've come across. And the statistics, you know, speak for it. I think anxiety uh, is something like three to five times higher in um, depression, anxiety in, in, the, in the entertainment industry and suicide, something like two to three times higher, if not more. So it's just like pretty alarming. Because people are putting it all on the line so regularly and getting rejected 90% of the time. And then I suppose associating their self-worth with what other people think of them. And so it can become very hard to love yourself and not buy into that rejection and the thoughts that other people are having about you because they're governing whether or not you get a part or you get any money or you can feed yourself or you're a success or a failure. And to a certain degree, a great great way to look after your own mental health, which I'm sure you probably agree with, is to, at the end of the day, just be able to look yourself in the mirror and be proud of yourself and, and have you be your ultimate judge. But in that environment, being an actor, you have to pass over a lot of that control potentially to whoever's running your audition. And if they tell you you're no good, it's going to be very hard after having that happen a number of times in a row to not start believing it. And I imagine that that would really affect you mentally. Oh, well, look, I couldn't have worded it better myself, mate, what you just said there about it. It's... Um... You know, you've articulated that incredibly well, and it's it's so true, and it feeds so many of the wrong things. And the, you know, the sad thing with it as well is like it turns something that you know this creative thing that's meant to be um, an enjoyable thing into this incredibly painful thing for people. And I think also it does attract a lot of people. You know, like I said, I'm honest about why I got into it at the beginning, which I'm glad I did get into it for negative reasons because I probably would have never found it otherwise. Uh, and now I've been able to find, you know, joy in it for the right reasons. But um, I think a lot of people doing it are doing, you know, do, pursuing it because they're trying to compensate for, uh, for not having self-love, for not working on parts of themselves, for, you know, having that self-hatred that they're not solving through working on themselves. They're hoping they can solve that through getting on a TV show or in a film and having people admire them and, uh, you know, it speaks more widely in society now through, you know, everyone wanting more more likes on social media or more followers or this or that. It's like, uh, and, you know, I think about this all the time. It's like, well, even if you can achieve, uh, you know, become the most successful person in the world, you still you still have to confront yourself every day. And yeah. there is no end. There's literally no end to it. It's like no matter what you achieve, if you can't look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and like what you see, you're going to want more. You're going to be dissatisfied. You're going to be unhappy. And it's just not the way to live life. And um, it's, you know, it's sad that we're taught the opposite and it's so embedded in us that we need to do 
you know, tell ourselves that we need all these things to allow ourselves to be happy because, you know, if you can't be happy right now with whatever it is, whatever position you're in, and I get a lot of people are not in good positions and are fight, facing a lot of adversity, but still, if you can't find a, some sort of peace of mind in where you're at and you're hoping that external things are going to bring it, you're probably never going to find that happiness until you address that. Yeah, we're stuck with ourselves for better or worse and constantly seeking that gratification and validation and putting so much weight on it that if we don't get it, then we can't be satisfied and we can't be fulfilled and we can't be content. That leaves you very open to not feeling very good a lot of the time because you can't actually control that. So learning to find that from within and not put so much weight in what other people think of you sort of gives you the power back but can take so long to view life that way and and take a lot of pain before we can get to that point for sure yeah so what led you down the path of mental health advocacy well it was you know it all stemmed really from you know what i went through from my whole you know experience that i've just detailed from growing up to what i experienced publicly to eventually uh I guess it was probably began when I finished at university and I started getting, um, seeing a little bit of hope because, you know, it's pretty bad. Like even when I was first starting at university, I was like going through all these issues and I just didn't see a future. And I, um, I've never been able to commit to any, rightly or wrongly, never been able to commit to anything in my life unless I really did see, um, unless I was really passionate about it, uh, which, you know, I think it's a bit extreme how I was thinking, but that's how I was. And, um, I started finding meaning in, in the mental health area because I had this firsthand experience. And when I was asked on Dancing with the Stars, I uh, started, I had Beyond Blue at the time as my um, charity I worked with. And that uh, led to me getting asked to talk at schools and share my story. And very quickly, I started seeing that this doesn't um, discriminate. It affects a lot of people. Started talking in companies, seeing the same thing. And it started opening up my eyes and I was finding, well, this is helping me by being able to talk about it. It's helping other people. Uh, and I really do now have this incredibly strong connection to doing this and I just want to do more of it. Um, and it sort of built from there and I've, you know, 12 years later, um, still doing it uh, in, in a number of different ways through, you know, my podcast, through my business, you know, we make um, educational programs. Uh, we've got another project we're building at the moment through the book, through basically creating whatever educational content we can. But um, even 12 years later, um, and, you know, seeing the whole landscape of this area with, you know, I guess everyone uh, now mental health is a talked about thing. You see a lot of people jumping on board, trying to make different apps or this or that. And there's some good ones, but there's also a lot of people trying to just do it as a business opportunity. And mm. what I've found is through everything I've done, you know, after that 12 year period, still the most effective thing is just literally standing in front of a group of people and just talking honestly showing vulnerability uh and you know it's amazing the impact that has on people and it's not because i you know a lot of people do the same thing and it's not because i'm doing it any differently it's just by if we can all be vulnerable in front of people it gives other people permission to do the same themselves and most of the time they're deep down wishing that they could do that and wanting to do it because it feels good to be open and honest and it's a healthy thing to do. So I haven't found anything more powerful than, you know, that simple thing or what we're doing right now, you know, just having 
a grassroots conversation about this stuff. You've never been pushed to the point of being suicidal, fortunately. Why are you so mm -hmm. passionate about suicide prevention? Well, I'm passionate about uh, mental health, promoting you know positive mental health in general, which suicide's a gigantic part of it. And I have never been suicidal, but I've been at very low points. And I've been at points that are so low and so helpless. I think if I didn't have, you know, I've got something, I'm, I'm lucky that I've got a resilience built in me uh, that I, I don't know, I've always had this self-belief in myself, even that when I'm at my lowest points, I know I can push myself through it. Um, I guess born with that, I'll probably get it from my dad. Um, but I've felt so bad that I had, it gave me an understanding of, um, when you hear and you hear people that don't, you know, understand it saying, oh, but that's selfish to commit suicide. Well, it gave me an understanding that it's, it's not actually, it's, um, it needs to be prevented, but these people that do it are in so much pain that we simply can't conceive it because you just simply wouldn't go through with doing that if you thought there was any other option whatsoever. So the level of pain they're feeling, unless you've felt it yourself, which I haven't, you know, I haven't been to that extreme point, but I've felt close to that level of pain it can't be put into words you know how how bad it, it feels and and that gave me a real you know burning desire to want to get that message out and help people in that area because i've got a lot of empathy for anyone that's going through any mental health um sort of issue at all and and also you know it doesn't doesn't matter if you're you know you're a starving you know kid in africa or you're a billionaire i really don't care i think it, it I don't like it if people are saying, well, you know, that person's privileged or, you know, you see this with James Packer. He's um, had severe mental health issues. I don't think people should judge that uh, because pain is pain and they've come to that point through some sort of scenario and they deserve to, you know, be uh, helped and be able to talk about it. Absolutely. And no matter what our status is within society or where we're at, in terms of material wealth or everything that is in our life externally, we still are confronted with the same problems to varying degrees on different levels. You know, the fact that you can wear different clothes or drive a different car or live somewhere else, you don't escape the fact that you're still human. As much as some people try, we even have billionaires trying to get go to space now. <laughs> exactly. But, that's, the, that's what happens, is it? Yeah, it's like that's the next step. It's like got all these billions of dollars you know uh, okay you know what else do i do okay let's build a rocket let's put myself into space and, and i'm not judging like that that's pretty that's pretty cool maybe <laughs> i would do that if i was a, a trillionaire <laughs> as well but it just seems it just seems like there's examples of people who achieve obscene wealth or have everything that they could ever have and acting as an industry is a prime example of that with hollywood and all the mental health issues we see within that where people have everything but time and time again we see oh but that wasn't the point. That didn't work. When we got everything we thought we wanted, we were still empty and hollow. We still had the wrong people in our life. Something was still missing. And we know that that, that classic same old story, yet it doesn't really sink in, I think, because mm -hmm. if we haven't achieved that ourselves in terms of all the external stuff, we don't believe that that would actually be the case for us. That was just for other people. But I think it's absolutely everyone that the number one thing we all want is connection and purpose. And mm -hmm. even if we achieve all the stuff that's fed to us as the things that we're meant to want, it's still not going to fix the fact that maybe we forgot about what really mattered along the way 
and we can try and run from that and pretend as much as we like but like the monster under your your bed that dissatisfaction or that feeling that something's off or that there's more to life is still going to be there no matter how much you try to throw a mercedes in front of it and a bigger house and all of that sort of stuff you know we we know that that's actually not the essence of life yet i'm still guilty of pursuing shit like that sometimes but something that i've oh. certainly noticed in myself more recently is that whenever i get distracted and start basing my goals off trying to get stuff or acquire some sort of possession or make make something material into a goal and go after that it affects my entire life negatively and i get these feelings that i've find hard to explain where i just feel like mm-hmm. i'm living in cognitive dissonance to who i actually want to be and how i actually want to live and that if you really ask me i'd tell you that that sort of shit doesn't matter but mm-hmm. it doesn't stop me falling into the trap but it's which is a hard trap not to f- fall into i think especially as you are in your late 20s to early 30s and the world's mm-hmm. saying you're meant to be here by this point you're meant to have mm-hmm. this and that and I would say logically, like that stuff doesn't really matter. But that just because you can say something logically or advise someone else doesn't mean that you can necessarily uh, adopt those behaviors yourself and, and make sure that you're focusing on the right things at all times. And you have to be disciplined in being able to, like you do with meditation, bring yourself back to the breath, but bring yourself back to the actual point of why you're doing while you're doing and not fall off the wagon because... There's temptations and distractions everywhere. But if you fall for them, at least in my experience, you you know deep down that you're on the wrong path or you're focusing on the wrong things. And while you feel that way, it's very hard to be present. It's very hard to be content. And it's very easy to feel distracted and anxious and unable to focus and that that can become a cycle. Do you still find that battle is ongoing within yourself especially now that you're this mental health guy do you really feel that internal struggle sometimes that you're not living up to your own expectations of being this guy i'm human and i think we all fall into certain traps uh and i guess like it's so hard to find that that balance in it but i find it all the time you know i'm like aware of it as it's happening but i'm like i'm incredibly ambitious example is even like i i started my podcast a bit over a year ago and i was loving it at the beginning i was like this is amazing i get to have all these conversations with people from all over the world and then i started looking at other podcasts and looking at you know what the potential was and how can i commercialize this what are other ones doing and then i started obsessing about how can i make this bigger how do i do this and then i very quickly started actually hating what i was doing and i was like hang on i'm not even enjoying this podcast the number one reason i did the bloody thing you know i get caught up in it all the time um and I find it really hard, but I think the realization I've had is you're never going to stop thinking like that. And a mentor I had actually said, especially if you've got that kind of mind, um, and this guy's worth, you know, $300 million. He said when he was 18 and had no money to his name compared to where he is right now in his 60s worth $300 million, he still doesn't feel any different and has the same want and need and compulsion for mm. doing and achieving more. So he said, the only learning was there's no end to this. You're going to feel like that no matter where you get. So having the self-awareness and every time you feel it, reminding yourself, okay, 
I'm on the path I want to be on. I'm doing what I can. But the uh, important things in life are actually not going to come from whether or not I get this stuff to where I'm wanting it to be anyway. So I've just got to go back to enjoying the process. That has to be your definition of success, or in my case anyway, I don't tell you what success has to be to you, but it has to be the process and the journey of it because I think you just find out and are reminded again and again of this fact through life that actually there is only the process. <laughs> so There's only the process. If you can't, like, if you can't enjoy well, that and, you, and you're always waiting for certain checkpoints before you allow yourself to feel happy and feel satisfied, then you'll spend your whole life waiting and potentially never realize or realize when it's too late that actually that was it. That's all there is. It's like there's no like what what does perfect perfect mean? You know, like it doesn't make sense. Perfect, like it, it it's different for everyone. Like um, perfect for one person could be uh, living them, you know, the most simple life possible and having almost no money and no um, possessions and just having this really nice, you know, simple life. And for someone else, it might be something more complicated. I guess it's harder to navigate in this day and age because of you know mass media social media the level of exposure that we have to content is terrifying you know some really positive things about technology like us having the opportunity to have a conversation like this and try and push it out to as many people as we can um, and hopefully help a few people but there's also some you know incredibly negative things from it and your book is also a toolkit so take us through your three <laughs> go-to tools yeah so i've got three main ones that um i you know use to check in with myself a lot of the time which um you know one of them that i talk about a lot is just having friends that you can check in with so uh being able to um i've got three friends that i you know that are unconditional that i can talk to 24 7 and they can do the same to me and we know each other inside out so it's like some a lot of the time if you're overthinking or you feel yourself spiraling talking to someone who understands you within you know 20 seconds sometimes they can say hey you're doing that thing again that's bullshit things are great things are on the right track it's okay mm. blah 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 and it just resets your mind it's amazing how quickly it can happen other people can be so much better at, at calling you on your shit than you and and you them as well yeah. because it's so much harder to absolutely ad to admit stuff to ourselves <clears throat> and and take responsibility ourselves but within a minute of hearing from your friend you can recognize certain patterns and behaviors and tell them something that perhaps they didn't want to recognize in themselves and they'll do the same for you and you're like oh you're right but it also exactly. it also makes you feel so much better because just being in your head all the time i think becomes the most dangerous place to be because it's only one perspective <clears throat> And it's often a negative frame of mind as well where you're giving yourself thoughts that you're not good enough or the way you're behaving is wrong or trapping yourself into this frame of mind that this is my reality and I can't see a way out of it. And actually talking to someone else about it, they're like, oh, well, have you considered this? Or you're being too harsh on yourself. Yeah, I see that this is a problem, but there's also this, this, and this that you haven't mm -hmm. considered or you've forgotten. And then you hear that stuff and you're like, oh, they're right. And it's like there's a bit of space between you and yourself <laughs> for a second yeah, to, yeah. To, to actually go, exactly. oh, hold on. And that makes you feel so much better. And my... The reason I started this show is because my friend committed suicide and I know that a huge part of that was that he was so trapped in his own mind and because he was isolated in another state, couldn't go and 
hang out with him and that that voice would have gotten so overpowering that that became his reality and he would have felt completely trapped by that and unable to escape from it and that ultimately led to tragedy. So I think that same goes for all of us that whenever we're just alone in our own head with a negative voice of self-talk, that's a very dangerous place to be and if we can, we we need to bring other voices into that equation to break yeah. it up. No, I'm sorry to hear that, mate. It's, yeah, but what, what you said there, it's so true. Like, um, I'll sometimes go into that, you know, like the one thing I learned a long while back now was when you're going into that, you can't think your way out of it. It's thinking, okay, you know what? I can continue sitting here thinking like this, but this absolutely will not solve the problem. Also, when you're just feeling a horrible emotion that you can't remove, it's reminding yourself, this is not reality what I'm feeling. It's it's going to pass. It always does. Every emotion, good and bad, passes. So I'm just going to weather this storm. And going back to the the three go-tos for me, it's talking to people. It's going and, you know, trying to change your behavior uh, through repetition, you know, creating new habits. And, and then the most important one is seeking help and doing something. So when you do feel that coming on, instead of thinking your way out of it, the sooner you can get help, the better. Okay, I'm going down that path again. I'm going to put a stop to this right now. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to call a friend. Or if I don't have access to anything, I'm going to call a free helpline and just talk to someone and say, hey, I'm going through this very quickly. That's going to lead to you then getting directed to get the help you need. So there's always a solution of what you can do. There's only one thing you should not do, and that's do nothing. So, you know, do just do something. And you truly believe in the power of story and storytelling. What benefit is there in owning up to our story rather than running from it, hiding from it, or pretending that it doesn't exist? What do we get when we own up to our story, no matter how ugly it is? Yeah, I believe in storytelling more than anything. Um, I think, you know, that's the main way we learn. That's how, you know, since the beginning, that's how we've learned through story. Everything, if you break it down, is based, is, you know, is story. Uh, and I think by hearing someone else share a story and talk, you know, vulnerably, if I go back to what I said before about, you know, after 12 years of doing all these different things and seeing the landscape and seeing all the, you know, stuff that's out there, I still feel like the most effective thing I've seen is being able to stand in front of a, a group of people and be completely vulnerable and talk honestly, because it gives what it does is it gives other people permission to go and then talk about. Uh, their own problems or permission to realize, hang on, you know what? Because the, the feeling we have when we're thinking these negative things is, hang on, what's wrong with me? Why do I find everything so hard? Why am I so messed up? Uh, why and do that, I struggle so much more? And that I must be the only one. That's exactly that's what I mean. You know, why why am I the only one who, who feels this? What's wrong with me? Whereas once we start all talking about it, we realize that it affects everyone. And, you know, uh, you see it, you see these big celebrities and it's really good that we're getting now um, a lot of major celebrities. You even hear um, The Rock, you know, he's talked a lot about how he had bouts of depression and how he overcame it. And it's like, hang on, this guy that's like the biggest movie star in the world that is the most, you know, positive, uplifting guy you could ever meet and he's got, you know, never-ending energy and he seems like he's like Superman. He suffered depression, you know, and he talked about it. It's like, if the rock can suffer from depression, any of us can. Uh, so I think, again, th through storytelling, and, you know, that's what I sort of uh, realized in my life, you know, even through acting. You know, I think acting, making film, that area, 
um, doing a podcast, creating media, whatever it is. I think using platforms and storytelling um, to get these messages across to a mainstream audience is a, you know, really important and really powerful thing to do. And, you know, that's what I'm going to be dedicating my entire life to um, in one way or another. Uh, And, you know, I think it's like, yeah, it's an important way to get the message out there. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of humanity's greatest strengths and ones that one that we've always had mm-hmm. is the capacity to to share and relate to each other and that, that is fundamental for, for growth and progress and connection. And exactly. if, if we have strong storytelling and a culture that wants to listen and be heard, then that's going to be a fundamental pillar of us actually being able to progress and become a healthier society. And if you hadn't been through that immense pain that you felt as a younger man and you hadn't actively decided to put in all that work into self-development and growing and becoming who you are now, you wouldn't be able to have any of the impact that you're having or have these conversations or have a life calling, which you obviously have. Mm -hmm. And it seems that would be a real disservice to the world. Is it funny for you to think about that fact that actually it all led to this point and does it feel like it was meant to be that way or you're not necessarily a, a destiny guy? No, I'm massively a destiny guy, mate. But um, I, yeah, I believe everything happens for a reason. And like I said at the beginning, um, you know, I wouldn't say I, you know, if I was in that situation, of course I wouldn't go and, you know, drink, drive and crash a car again. You know, I um, was lucky. There's like the police that saw that said they never saw a car crash where anyone came out alive that severe. I was lucky I didn't kill my best friend. I was lucky I didn't die. Um, would have ruined my life. Um, but everything did lead to something, and I see meaning in in that. And I also think, yeah, going through pain, you know, experiencing things is really important. And not not by necessarily having to crash a car. You know, we shouldn't try and do things that put ourselves in situations that are going to be negative like that. But more by just experiencing things, doing things that, you know, I think more moving out of your comfort zone. There's a lot of growth and um, where we get conditioned a lot of the time to stay within these, you know, these boundaries that we've set for ourselves and not expose ourselves, not show vulnerability, not be out of a comfort zone. And you're missing out on the important parts of life if you do that. So I think that's what it taught me. And, um, you know, I wouldn't change anything in my life. And it's led me on that path. And, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate, as you said, that, uh, I have experienced those things. And um, it goes back again to what we talked about before with perfection as well. I think we're always looking at how do I construct the perfect life and do this and do that. And it's like, there's no, there's no, um, no life needs to have everything. If we don't go through difficult times, then we're not going to appreciate the good times. We're not going to have that same appreciation. We're not going to have, um, if we don't go through pain, and know what it feels like, it's going to be very hard to have empathy for other people. I think that's one of the biggest gifts I've been given. I feel so much empathy for other people going through pain because I felt it myself and I know what it feels like. And I don't want other people to have to continue suffering Mm. that because it doesn't feel good. If you haven't felt that, it's going to be, and you meet people like this, and I've met so many, and it's not their fault, but if you haven't felt it, um, how are you going to understand what they're going through and how are you going to have that level of empathy? So. I think there's a lot to be, you know, learnt from just experiencing different things in life. And pain is inescapable as much as we try to escape it or try to make our mm-hmm. lives comfortable or delude ourselves that we're in control. The reality is that 
it's all an illusion and none of us are actually safe from humanity, safe from being human. And that if we try to avoid one type of pain, then we're going to be inevitably hit with another. So it's really about coping mechanisms, skills that you develop to be resilient, having experiences, learning how you got out of it last time, learning what your triggers are and what what's going to send you down what path, and then having the discipline and finding something meaningful enough that you're going to make the right decisions and learn from when things don't go the way you want them to go. And that's really the that's the best hope you've got and the best you can do because you can't lock yourself in a padded cell in a castle and keep the world out. You could do that, no. but that's not going to make you feel too good either. So you got to get exactly. comfortable with the fact that if it ain't one thing, it's going to be another and that that's, yeah. all, that's all right. But let's build ourselves to a point where when stuff comes, we're able to call upon who we've become and our support networks. That's really like all we can do and getting more and more comfortable with that fact, I suppose, which is something that's so hard to become comfortable with, the fact that we are mortal, we are doomed to be in pain and this is all going to end. And so much yeah. of our lives can be distracting ourselves from that fact and trying to run from it. But probably the way to find the closest thing to contentment is to get yourself to a point where you're able to accept that and let it liberate you rather than ter- terrify you. I listened to this again yesterday. Steve Jobs said every morning he reminded himself that, he, you know, I'm going to be dead soon. I'm not on the planet for that long of a time. Um, we are all going to die, which it's pretty morbid to think about. But if you remind yourself that, what I'm doing today, is that what I want to be doing, you know, for, for my life? Is that in line with it? And if it's not, then it's like, well, you know, we, you can strip back a lot of layers. Think, well, we're not here for that long of a time. Uh, we don't have control over a lot of stuff. What is it that I really want to be doing? How do I want to spend my time? There's certain things in life that are really important, but there's a lot that are not. Reminding yourself, not, we don't have to take it so seriously, and there's not that many things that are that important. So I think it's you know it's a really good point. And then another quote that I really like from um, Jim Carrey was he always says, "I wish everyone could become as rich and famous as I became, because then they'll realize it's not the answer." And the frustration in being reminded again and again that the the answer doesn't doesn't live there so you're also really big on habits and it takes 21 days to make a habit whether that's a good one or a bad one how do you replace a bad habit with a good habit i mean they say 21 to 30 days i guess which you know there's a lot of science that isn't exact around what it is but whatever it is you know if you do something i I like to think you know it takes like a month to make or break a new habit so i think it's understanding that and then um, really disciplining yourself that this is actually going to be really difficult to do um, on a daily basis uh, and it's going to take a lot of discipline but if I can stick to it for long enough uh, it will become more ingrained and more natural for me and um, so I've used that with you know so many things I wanted to change and it's the most effective thing I've found because uh, it makes sense it's logical and you know if you do it's not about doing a huge amount every day it's more just about doing things repetitively daily having these routines um, that that help you, you know, make that change. And yeah, if you've got a good way to do it, it's like what you said. If you've got a negative habit, um, you know, that could be that. Or one for me, you know, example that I still do now. You know, I do a lot of things good for myself, but I've got a really bad habit. Or a lot of the time, if I'm stressed or I'm busy or I you know, can't turn my brain off, 
um i will you know lie in bed after at the end of the day watching a movie eating snacks and i'm like this is not good for me you know stimulating myself eating food junk food before i go to bed you could replace that with you know meditating before you go to bed so you know replacing an unhealthy one with the healthy one and being conscious of it and and not being hard on yourself if you don't stick to it you know or you have a slip up that's okay but it's more thinking i'll try again tomorrow you know so sort of um doing your best to do something regularly to make that change and even if it's a small habit that doesn't seem like it's that consequential to our life why bother like why would you bother to make yourself meditate four nights a week rather than sit on the couch and eat junk food again like does it really matter that much um i think it does you know maybe not for someone else but i think yeah i think everything adds up you know we become a product of what we do and how we behave what's the price you pay if you don't do the little things and you're not able to be disciplined and set even little goals and become someone who achieves them what do you think the price is that we pay all the big things come from the little things so if you don't do that the big things don't come you know if you're thinking i want to just take over the world and do all of this overnight it's not going to happen unless you do the little things repetitively for you know five ten years any any olympic athlete will tell you that they didn't get there by just having a dream they got there by dedicating their whole life to doing little things every single day so the consequence of not doing it is not achieving what you want not on your personal development level getting to where you want uh your health you know exercising wise you know having health problems in the future not being present using distraction to deal with uh, life and not really living i think it's like i think the consequences of not doing a lot of it are they're pretty severe. And all this and more is in your new book, Move Your Mind. Fantastically well written. I really like the fact that it's the opposite of pretentious. Your your language is very accessible, very authentic. Obviously, it comes from someone who's been through a lot of this themselves and is trying to frame it in a way that everyone's going to be able to understand and relate to. And it's not about you big noting yourself or pretending to have the answers. It's about you learning from so many people that you've spoken to, drilling down all their knowledge and then presenting that for everyone else. So uh, I love what you've done with the book. Where can people find it? Yeah, appreciate it, mate. And um, and just, yeah, finally on that note, I think it's, yeah, that's really important that we, you know, no one's got all the answers just about having access to how can I educate myself and find the tools to make that change. But the book is now available um, Australia-wide, uh, you know, in retail so it's in big w target some other smaller retailers so you can find it in a whole bunch of retailers in australia uh, otherwise you can uh, purchase it online through booktopia or amazon you can go to my website nickbrax.com to find all of the links and uh yeah audiobook will come out you know, in the coming months if you're watching or listening well worth a read so make sure you go and grab a copy and here are all Nick's got to say because apart from everything we went through today, there's lots of little gems in here that really help. So amazing work with that, mate. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it, mate. Glad we finally got to do it.
That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. All our podcasts are recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Health Matters on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Youngblood Media, to get the full picture. And please leave us a comment if anything resonates. We love hearing from you. You're more than welcome to join our inner circle by signing up for our e-news through our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au. And most importantly, please share this podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. Until next time, this is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission.